And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. Ladies and gentlemen, here we go. It is Thursday, and we are live from the bunker deep beneath World Headquarters here in Kansas City, right in the middle of everything. And what a week it's been. My name is Jason Hunt. I am the editor here at Sci-Fi For Me. Welcome to all of you who are with us live. If you're with us Memorex, that's fine too. We're also available as a podcast, various different podcast player platforms. Say that ten times fast. We have a Discord server. We've got all the social media. Email address live from the bunker at sci fi for me.com. If you want to suggest topics or guests to invite, you are more than welcome to do that. And uh, I see people already in the chat uh, over on YouTube. We're broadcasting live to YouTube, Rumble, Odyssey, and Twitch. Over in the chat, I see Cam, Keely, Michael. Uh, Keely put the link in there for the GoFundMe for Tom. Uh, Tom over at Midnight's Edge is uh, is looking to uh, uh, looking for a little help with uh, surgery for his dog Sadie. She's got a tumor. So, uh, so Keely's put the link in there for that, <coughs> and it kind of it kind of gives me uh, gives me our segue into today's topic. But first of all, happy Star Wars Day, everybody, because it was forty six years ago today that Star Wars hit the movie theaters, and it was Star Wars. No A, B, C, or D. <laughs> uh, where were you, gentlemen, in 1977? Dan Danford, Matt Stevens join us uh, this morning. And I think Culture yeah. Casino is going to be here. Uh, he's going to try to be here. We're, we're going we're gonna to leave the door open for him. So uh, we are talking money today. Uh, because it's things are tough all over, and it was um, you know kind of a weird week. Kind of, it's been kind of a. a I mean, the last six months have been uh, nuts. I guess mm-hmm. is is one way to put it. I mean, uh, you know, I look at here's Disney down down to eighty seven, eighty seven ninety eight right now. When do when, well, culture had said buy it at uh, at um, at eighty seven, so I don't know. This is this is uh, this is a thing. What do you guys think? Is it time to buy? <laughs> in this type of situation, I'd probably rather buy it in the low nineties, or at least look at it then. Yeah, and, uh, I, uh, man, we were clearly in the downtrend. So. Yeah, it's it's it, you know the uh, cultural and social issues that are facing the Disney company. To say nothing of the political issues, um, it's just hard to see where this is going to go um, in the near future. But we'll see. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, man, I tell you, this is this is such a weird <laughs> thing. Uh, you know, because it's not just is well, and I mean. We talk about talk about the culture and the political stuff. I mean, Target's down, Anheuser Busch is down. All of these, all of these companies that have leaned into this crap. Did you see the article? I- yeah, Target definitely stepped into it. Too. Yeah, I was kind of surprised. There's been so much of a uh, outcry I, about it. Yeah, yeah, I just think they've misjudged um, the, the the public. Mm-hmm. I, I think they they feel strongly about these things themselves and so they think that everybody else feels that way and while i don't think people are you know strongly against i mean i don't think anybody i know has hate towards people who are different 
but I think they're kind of tired of feeling like it's kind of been shoved in their face mm-hmm. and they're seeing things every day that they don't really want to see. And it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of like, since when did, you know, these small percentage groups of, of the country start dictating how everybody else behaves. And I, I think there's genuine pushback on that. Yeah. Yeah. But, I think, I think there is too. And I think uh, some of it is, I said, I said, I said this, you know, talking about this yesterday on some different things where sometimes the internet is a, is a terrible, terrible, terrible place to be, but it also gives us resources where we are finding out about stuff and things. And it, it kind of feels like, uh, you know, the great awakening, you know, the great re- reawakening, the digital awakening. People are are learning about this stuff. I mean, even even if you look at stuff like the writers' strike, where they're talking about compensation for writers and they're talking about the CEO stuff. I mean, we, there's all sorts of stuff that are that are that are compounded into that. <coughs> but people out in the general population are starting to pay attention to this stuff more. And it could be the fact that all of us are up here on YouTube and Rumble and Odyssey, and we're all talking about it, and we're bringing people's attention to it, that maybe they might not otherwise be aware of all of this stuff that's going on. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think, uh, I mean, well, the Bud Light fiasco was driven by uh, fellow that would not could not have existed without uh, uh, you know without the internet and access to everything we do. And as far as the writers go, uh, it's it, it, everything has changed so much. The streaming services, uh, what do you do with those? Yeah, writers. Yeah, yeah. The it's sure. the and it's the same with the music business. You know, with the streaming of the uh, of the royalties and all that kind of stuff. It's just changed the dynamic of the business mm-hmm. and um you know sometimes change is is good sometimes change is bad but it's almost always stressful and uh, i think you're seeing a lot of that out there is that people are stressed by the amount of change that's going on and i don't see that diminishing anytime soon well and and michael asked about the <clears throat> about our disclaimer i did put the disclaimer up on the graphic let me just say we're just talking here folks we're not giving you any official <laughs> advice talk to your accountant and your attorney and and tax consultant and advisors and whatnot but the the idea here that the economy is what i i there's a there's a a chicken and egg thing here it feels like almost the economy is affecting certain things, and certain things are affecting the the economics, uh, the health of, of the economy in in various different aspects. And Hollywood, the entertainment industry, we can start there with the with the writer's strike. <coughs> you have a number of unions that are getting ready. I mean, the Writers Guild is on strike. They've been on strike now for three weeks. And we've seen work stoppages. We've seen other unions standing up with them. Screen Actors Guild, their board has called for a a strike authorization vote because they begin negotiations on the 7th. And I think the Directors Guild does about the same time because their contracts for both SAG and DGA, both, I think, are up June 30th. So you have... Uh, you have the the Writers Guild on strike. You have Screen Actors Guild is getting ready to go on strike. You have the Directors Guild that they say we're a long way from any kind of a deal. And not just that, but now you have uh, the Animation Guild is making noise. You have Animation Guild members joining uh, the Writers Guild on the picket line. Has there has there ever been a time <clears throat> where an entire industry gets completely shut down by all the unions at once? This is this seems to me 
almost unprecedented. This uh, this kind of thing hasn't happened before, has it? I don't think so. The last writer's strike was pretty substantial 12 years ago, 12, 15 years ago. And uh, I don't think I don't think anyone else went out with them. Do you remember, Dan? Yeah, I don't. Um, I don't think so. It was just them. Yeah, and and that one and that one was the same arguments they're making this time, because then it was web series and web shows and webisodes and and you know it was going to be transmedia. They were going to start making all of the all of this online programming. This is back before streaming, and you have the same kind of problem. How do you track it? How do you how do you monetize it? How do you figure out what the value is of this kind of thing? But I would argue that it's almost easier. If I have uh, if I have a video on a website, I can track the number of views. I can track the number of times somebody downloads it. I can track some you know how how much. I mean, you look at all the analytics that we get from Google and 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 Rumble and all these. We can track all of that. Uh, all the performance of the video. So many people saw it and they stayed this long and they watched this many times and they shared it here and here's where they got it and here's one link to all this. And you don't have any of that with streaming. So now we're right back where we started with, yeah, I can watch Picard Season 3 12,000 times and nobody's going to know because I've paid one time for Paramount+. Plus. Well, how do you compensate your writers for that? I mean, reruns are no longer a thing. I, I think, and, and you know, potentially, if the writers go out on strike and they stay out for a year or two, people will just watch stuff on YouTube that's being created by people who aren't uh, aren't mm-hmm. compensated writers at yeah. all. I mean, I, part of the problem is that um, there are no barriers to entry. And in fact, there aren't very many barriers to posting stuff up on the Internet, you know. Mm-hmm. So there's a massive amount of content out there. And uh, I, I, it's, it's just changed the dynamic of, of the whole industry, I think. And uh, the writers are the victims now. But, you know, the companies are suffering from this, too. You know, to a certain extent, this is part of what plagues Disney and some of the other uh, companies as well, is that there's just so much competition for it. And people aren't going into the theaters the way they used to. No. I mean, they just aren't. We took my grandkids or we took a set of my grandkids to uh, see the Mario show a couple weeks ago at the theater. And we had the four grandkids and uh, Chris and me, and we were the only six people in the theater. Mm. Literally the only six people in the theater. We had it to ourselves. I mean, I, I don't, that was only one day at one time. I don't know whether maybe it's packed all the rest of the time, but you know, you, you, it's, it's it's hard to it's hard to pay the overhead with two adults and four kids. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and the other aspect of that is, uh, you know, uh, we talked about it uh, when Cameron uh, when Cameron Pasha and Paul Chato were on here talking about the strike. Uh, Cameron's theory is that the studios are going to hold out long enough to do some force majeure <laughs> cancellations of some projects, which. Could be a blessing in disguise if it allows them to get rid of a, a bunch of projects that are influenced heavily by ESG money and politics and ideological stuff. And it's like, you know what? We can just scrap this and start all over again with some some Top Gun Maverick. Let's just entertain people type of things. And I'm the more I'm looking at this stuff, and I it was maybe a week later that we started seeing some discussion of force majeure in some of the trades. And we're like, Cameron might be on to something here. Well, you know, this, the strike has already impacted like um, productions, late night TV, like Saturday Night Live. The next episode is canceled. Uh, they may not finish out the season. So it's pretty interesting. Even uh, apparently Colbert has a, is missing his writers, which surprises me because I don't think he's written a new joke in about eight years. <laughs> but, uh, I was going to say Saturday Night Live. It's been what two decades or something. So yeah, yeah. pretty much. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, I, I, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. It, it'll be, you know, I, I've, I have a son-in-law that was kind of in the restaurant bar business, you know, and they're still suffering from the pandemic thing. I mean, things mm-hmm. have come back, but there's so many people that never made it back. That's yeah. the truth. And uh, in, in these kinds of of big shifts, they disrupt for a long time. And I, I really think that even the writers and stuff, it's, it's not. It's not just Hollywood. It is the nature of entertainment has taken a shift. Yeah. And uh, I, I think, you know, it affects different groups at different times, but I think it's all part of the same thing. Well, and, and the other part, the other, the other part is how much it impacts, like you're talking about the, you know, the, the pandemic effect of the restaurants. You look at the, the, the Hollywood system and the studios if the the studios are just coming back the the yep. movie theaters are just coming back and you get hollywood shut down again all of these productions are starting to close they're not going to be doing it and it's not just the the unions that's on strike it's the other unions that are honoring that strike we've talked about this before up in new york uh daredevil born again production got shut down because you have the writers picket line, and then you have the Teamsters and the local IATSE chapters up there sitting there going, "We're not going to cross the picket line. We're not striking, but we're not going to work because they're striking." And so you're going to have some impact and some fallout from that. But as all of these productions get shut down in Hollywood, you know the movie theaters have sat there and said, "We need at least a hundred a hundred movies in the theaters this year in order to survive." And, uh, you know, Paul DeGarabedian over at Comscore says we're probably going to be looking at a $4 billion year this year, which, okay, this year might be okay because a lot of the stuff that's coming out is already done. Or it's in post-production and it doesn't get affected by the writer's strike or it's being produced outside the United States, you know, someplace like Korea or, or Japan or something. And, and maybe it's not affected. But at some point, we're going to get back to that place where there's not any product because productions have been shut down and now there's not any product so then what do you do and and it's not just the studios that are going to get hit by that and the actors it's going to be the movie theaters it's going to be the restaurants all of the peripheral ancillary business that happens not just from people going to the movies but people making the movies, if, if, if I'm going to go shoot a movie in Toronto and I'm going to bring in a bunch of crew from Los Angeles or Atlanta or wherever, we all got to stay in hotels. We all got to go to the restaurants. We're going to go to the movies. We're going to go to sports or whatever. All of that ancillary business goes away. So Atlanta, Louisiana, uh, Dallas. Texas, yeah. All of those places Texas. that have real strong, thriving film industries, all of that shuts down. This is going to have a this is going to be a, a big footprint by the time it's all said and done. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I guess what I'd say is, you know, it all shuts down. Might be overstating it a little bit. Uh, I'm sure that uh, there will be. Oh, come on, give me my already... doom and gloom moment. Dan. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I mean I, that's that's the thing is that um, there definitely will be people hurt. There will be industry that slowed, all that kind of stuff. But you know, w- when there's a void, there's always something that steps into the void. Yeah. So I don't know what that's going to be or what the next uh, transition looks like, but. Um, uh, something will step up. Yeah. Innovation, yeah. innovation is amazing. Well, and I and I have to wonder because you 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 hit on it earlier with you know the YouTube and all of us independent creators out here doing stuff. And yes. I've said it before: we're all we're going to be the next one. Just some somebody out here. That's uh, right. it, it probably won't be me, but somebody out there is going to come up with some way of using. YouTube or Odyssey or Rumble or or BitChute or or Vimeo or whatever, and we'll be the next Scorsese, the next George Lucas, the next innovator in in storytelling, visual storytelling medium. But at the same time, you got to figure out how how it's going to generate revenue. How is it going to be profitable? And if YouTube sits there and says, you know what, 
all of you people who have got your YouTube app on your TV, we're going to run non-skippable 30-second ads. It'll be just like terrestrial broadcast television again, where you got commercials in front of your shows. Mm-hmm. And people have decided, well, I don't want that. I'm going to cancel this. So how do you how do you generate revenue? I, you go back to this show is sponsored by, and you drop a you drop a reader in like Maybe. like live television was back in the 40s, 50s, where your host sits there and goes, "I smoke camel," you know, and yeah. and, and do a live reader. That almost seems like it's the only way that you're going to be able to generate revenue at some point. It could be. I mean, look how people monetize the internet. You know, I mean, you flat out say, "Hey, basically, this this article is clickbait." But if you buy anything that we mention on this article, we'll get compensated for that. Yeah, affiliate okay? marketing. I mean, exactly. I mean, and and there will be there always somebody out there figuring out the next. Uh, you know, there there are there are eight billion people on this planet, and all of them are trying to scratch out a living. Uh, it's pretty amazing how they come up with ideas. <laughs> uh, well, qu- question in the chat. Uh, Michael's asking, sh- couldn't the streaming services use the bandwidth uh, with minutes watched uh, in some manner and develop some compensation algorithm? Well, the the thing is, minutes watched, Nielsen has tr- has developed something. That we're going to be looking at, uh, I I, I want to say that they're rolling it out, or they already, maybe they just rolled it out, or they're about to. They've got some tools that they're developing to track streaming performance. And you have places like Samba TV, and you got some stuff. But at the, at the end of the day, all of that stuff is guesswork, because the streaming services themselves don't release any data. Now, I can sit there as I say, I'm Netflix, and I can see how many minutes have been spent watching Stranger Things. And by my goal internally, maybe it's a hit. Maybe it's a success. But what kind of external measurements are there? What kind of, of, of you know standards are in place for I can sit there and say, look... 12 million people watched or, you know, this, this ran for so many times in the house, because if I'm looking at minutes watched, that's not necessarily every show I could, if I watch the first episode and then I watch it again with somebody else to show them, here's the first episode. And then we don't watch it anymore. What does that count? How does that count? You know, they're, they're they're looking at the watch minutes. Hey, somebody watched 120 minutes of this. This is, Except, you know, uh, it's it's part of the issue. That's what I. It's all tran- transformational. It's all transitional. Yeah. It's part of the issue with Twitter. I mean, if you'll remember uh, when, uh, you know, when when he bought Twitter. And then he backed out of the deal, and then he got back in the deal. It was over these metrics. Yeah. It was over how many people are actually using Twitter. And 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 if the other interesting thing about that, take it a step forward, is his new CEO. If you've noticed and spent any time looking at that, she is uh, she's an advertising person. Her entire career has been in the ad sales arena. So that just tells you that a big part of what, I mean, he's going to continue being Elon Musk and he's going to be the, you know, the creative and all that kind of stuff. But his CEO, somebody is going to try to figure out how to straighten out the revenue streams here. Well, and, and this article in Barron's don't write out yeah. Twitter's new CEO yet. This is from May 24th. And this comes after a great deal of online chatter and controversy over this person because Linda Yaccarino is part of the World Economic Forum. Yeah, and that's a huge red flag for a lot of people. I mean, yes, NBC Universal, Comcast, sales, advertising, blah 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 blah. She's both. But, she's been in. She's been in both of the last two administrations. She was and, in uh, the Republican and the Democrat uh, yeah. uh, administration. And, Interesting. People, and people have posted, you know, 
they've got some 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 video of her, you know, encouraging people to mask up and do all this. You know, and she's, you know, the 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 question of how woke is she and political and and Twitter's going to go back to the way it was because of who she is. Yeah, that's not going to happen. And I mean, you, it's also she's pretty compatible with Elon on his political views. Well, and but I think she it's has been part of the Biden administration. She has been. Yeah. Well, and I think it's I think the World Economic Forum connection is probably the biggest red flag for a lot of people. I mean, Biden's right. an incompetent, but he's 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 just one kind of a cog in the machine. Whereas the World Economic Forum, everybody's looking at this is like this is this is Doctor Evil level stuff, and. It's interesting to me that she has scrubbed. If you go back and look at her t- her Twitter account now, it goes back to the Kentucky Derby, and <laughs> everything else has been scrubbed prior to May fourth. It's all gone, and I'm wondering how much of that is just okay this is clean sweet we're going to start over again or how much of it is i'm going to hide who i am how much of it is elon sat there and said take everything down that could possibly be any ammunition that could distract from what we're trying to do i mean there's all sorts of different reasons why she would have scrubbed it but the big stuff that gets scrubbed is all of her advocacy for you know new world order crap But I'd also say he's he's no um, I mean, he doesn't shy away from controversy. So, I mean, all of that, all of that was known when he hired her. Right. Yeah. I, I think bottom line is she's there to increase revenues. That's she's going to run the business. He's going to run the creative. And uh, every every article I've read says that she's just been stellar in that regard. And uh, I think that tells you a lot about you know where Twitter's going is how do we monetize this? And yeah. uh, so I think they had seven hundred thousand people watch uh, the interview with DeSantis, and it didn't have audio. I mean, no, it didn't have video. It, it had audio, but it not crashed. Video. Uh, okay. it, yes, it, it crashed because uh, because I guess they weren't expecting that many people to 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 show no. up at this thing or Their what? Their cable networks are nowhere near that. Well, and you know, people are people are comparing uh, some of the stuff with, you know, success of of shows in the past versus now. Uh, what were we What were we talking about just the other day? The because um, Taylor Sheridan stuff, nineteen twenty three Yellowstone Yellowstone averages about thirteen million viewers. Oh, uh, mm, interesting. What was it? V. Was yeah, V. The- yeah, we were talking about uh, we were talking about the miniseries V with the alien visitors, you know, from yesterday, the lizard people, and um, it's it's interesting that that show averaged you you get into about thirty plus million uh, viewers on V. Now this is forty years ago. And nowadays you can only you're a hit if you're. Seven million. I mean, the 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 splintering off of all of the audience is just crazy. Much more fragmented. Much more. All right, M- Mrs. Boss is giving me an article here, and I'm trying to get it to load because I guess I've got too many tabs open here. Um, it's clear she's the brains of the operation. <laughs> well. <laughs> It's the well. It's the it's the technology. It's the uh-huh. technology. All right. So this is Nielsen.com. Let me see if I can pull this up. Um, this is dated May. I guess this is is this a white paper? I guess you've you found here. What? Channel overload is hurting full funnel marketing effectiveness and ROI confidence. This is Nielsen. Which is the the measurement uh, measurement company? Uh, pick a channel, any channel. With so many to choose from, marketers have have their hands full as they weigh the options, allocate their budgets, and then validate their decisions. And as varied as the measurement landscape is today, the challenges will only increase as new channels come to market, unless marketers shift to think more holistically about their measurement. That's a bunch of corporate speak, if I ever heard it. 
and it's wishful thinking on their part too. It is because they're gonna they're gonna try to develop that holistic measure that then they can sell to people. Um, yeah. Okay. So here's here's a, a graph, and for those of you who are listening to this podcast, uh, you should you should check out our video sometimes because sometimes we have visual aids here. Uh, confidence in return on investment measurement by channel. Uh, social media, native advertising, display, online and mobile ads, uh, video, online and mobile ads, over the over the over the television, TV, connected TV. I guess that's cable, streaming audio and podcasts. Um, when it comes to these, it looks fairly evenly spread. <clears throat> that they all they all seem seem to think that advertising in all of these places is you know very very confident to extremely confident is the range there you know 49 50% 57% so everybody seems to think that advertising across the various different media is the way to go as opposed to, you know, and there's not, there's not any one that sticks out here. I mean, social media stick, is sticking at 61%, but this is, this is not anything new. I mean, those of us who have been in the advertising business in the marketing business, we've always, and when I had my own advertising agency, I, you know, this was, this was the argument. You've got to, uh, you've got to, m- mix the different channels where you put your message. You can't put it all on television. You can't put it all on radio. You can't do just all billboards or newspapers. You got to do all of it. And it has to be a cohesive message that's consistent throughout all of these different things. It might be different pieces of the message, but everything has to be consistent between your TV and your radio and your newspaper and your magazine and your billboard and your online and your, and your website and your whatever, your newsletter, your emails, all of it has to be consistent with whatever the message is that you're going to put out there for your customers. And who is it that said, you know, I know 50% of my advertising revenue is, is spent on crap. I just don't know which, which 50%, right? And you know, 50% That's of my advertising exactly. is budget is wasted. That's right. It's, it's too bad. But it also, you know, using this argument that you just made, um, that excludes a ton of people. I mean, seriously, there are only a certain fraction of businesses that can afford that kind of presence in their marketing to have all those different channels or even two or three. I mean, even television. Yeah. I mean, there is local television, which is a little bit different. But if you really want to, you know, use television as a marketing piece, you're talking huge budgets. And it's it's true with with so many of the other things as well. So that's one of the things that fragmentation has done is it has made it hard to speak to large groups of people at the same time. It's it's too expensive. Well, and not only that, but you know, you talk about the the lack of adequate measurement tools. Yeah, exactly. You know, local television especially and the radio stations do this too. You know, they're looking at Arbitron, they're looking at Nielsen, they're looking at the numbers for measuring performance of their different daytime parts, and that's how they determine what their advertising prices are going to be. Look, we're number one in the market at 10 p.m. Our 30-second spot now is $600. And, you know, okay, yeah, we're not number one. We may be number three in the market, but we've got all of these people in this age group. So our 30-second our spot, we'll give you a deal. We'll charge you 450 You know, that's how they determine this. So if you have now streaming channels that are going to have the ad tier because yep. streaming doesn't make any money, so they've got to, they've got to do a, a commercial advertising-supported level, how are they going to determine what the ad prices are? That's... What kind of measurement tools are they going to use? And will we ever be privy to any of that? Because at some point, some advertising agency is going to go, look, I've got the numbers for Stranger Things. This is what it's actually doing. There's a guy in front of our house. There's a what? There's a guy in front of our house with his truck, and he's ringing our doorbell. Oh, technical difficulties. Uh, we have somebody at our door. Um, you, 
You guys, you guys talk amongst yourselves for just a second. I'm going to, I'm going to go see what this is, and uh, I, I, what? He's going over to the porch now. All right, I'll be right back. Stand by. Y'all, y'all talk amongst yourselves about how everything. Indiana, one, what do you, one thing aspect of the writer's strike, which could be new, is uh, AI could be. Yeah, exactly. No, and I thought of that, but you're exactly right. I mean, It'll I, be interesting. There will be a strike over that in the future. It's and you know I've seen people. Honestly, I have a lawyer friend who who said, you know, um, I'm working on a case or whatever, and I spent quite a bit of time researching it and stuff. And he said I, I went to the AI, whatever it was, the chat bot or whatever, and he said, uh-huh. I said this is the type of case, you know, write me a summary or whatever. And he said it was stunning how accurate this was. He said, I, he said it, it, you know, in, in 10 minutes, I had a summary that was nearly as good as what I'd spent hours developing on my own, you know, and uh, I think we're just going to see more of that. We're just going to see Yeah, they'll be writing novels and they'll be writing TV shows. They say the quality of like poetry is pretty amazing too. You can give it a topic and, uh, you know, and the parameters of, you know, what kind of pattern you want in the rhymes and things like uh-huh. that and comes back and they say it's pretty darn good so mm-hmm. it's yeah. they ought to be very concerned about that and uh i think that there was a good piece i sent it out to the people in my office today which you know is 15 people um somebody called dave ramsey about um you know, some kind of investment thing. And basically his premise was everything I've got is going to hell. And the only thing that's making me money is my money in the bank. That's getting me practically nothing, but I haven't lost anything. And I, and I really liked Ramsey's response, which basically was there's a little drama queen in every single one of us and especially gets excited about investment stuff. <laughs> he said, you know, the, the fact that your investments are down in the last six months or a year does not impugn them forever (laughs) you know that that's the drama queen in you doing that and i think that's i there's a lot of things that are scary about ai and the business environment today and all that kind Mm -hmm. of stuff but there is a tendency to dramatize all that stuff it it often is not as bad as everybody imagines it might be so were those the stormtroopers jason what was going on Uh, no it was it was somebody who wanted to trim our trees i'm like no you don't just walk up to the house and say (laughs) those trees need trimming yeah well you know they're prospecting i get it but in this day and age Yeah, they they weren't the 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 truck the truck out front didn't have any kind of logo artwork on it. It's just some guy gets out of the pickup and walks up to the house and like, "Hold on, just a second. There's a sign out front that says no trespassing." Um, and and here you know this this day and age this is not a smart thing to be doing. Mm-hmm. And that makes me think, mm-hmm. you know, you've got your studios and everything set up in your home. Um, you know, uh, I just read an article yesterday that Fox went and picked up all their stuff from Tucker's house. No, did they? You know, they they uh, had built a whole studio in his barn. Really? Yeah, and, and he'd been broadcasting there. This is out east someplace, and uh, I uh, guess uh, I guess yesterday or the day before, the truck showed up and dismantled the studio and hauled it away. <laughs> well, see, and I that and can't that imagine who they're going to give it to though. <laughs> that's right? what we don't know. Well, yeah. and that kind of that kind of reinforces this notion that at some point he's he's done with Fox completely. They're not they're not going to be doing anything. And he goes and does his own thing. Mm-hmm. But, I think he will. I, I mean, no. I, I just, you know, he has. Well, he was the number one rated show at, in, in all of cable for the last what five years or something or other. Well, you and, aren't going to you, you aren't going to shut him up. He's just going to find another avenue. Well, and he's announced that thing he's going to do with Twitter, and then everybody yeah. was like, "Well, with this new this new CEO, what does that do to Twitter's deal? Because you know what she's going to do." And and all of that, you know, all that mess. Yeah, what she's going to do is she's going to go out and figure out how to monetize that. That's what she's going <laughs> to do. Right. Look, we've got Tucker. Let's get some uh, money. Yeah. yeah. Now you got it. Now yeah, you got it. That's right. Uh, Michael's, Michael's asking. 
here. Yeah, Michael's asking our, our Second Amendment rights in Missouri. We have them. <laughs> we we have we have our Second Amendment rights still in Missouri. <laughs> That's all I'll say. Yeah. Anyway, all right. So, um, let let me let me pivot off of that because we're talking about Tucker. We're talking about Twitter. And, you know, at the beginning of the show, we talked about Disney and Target and, and Bud Light and all, all of that. Heckler and Koch, uh, they're, a, they're a gun manufacturer. And in the wake of the Bud Light mess fiasco, and in the wake of the Miller Light ad that came out and said... <coughs> Women were the first ones to make beer. And what did we do? We put them in bikinis. And, <laughs> and everybody went ballistic on that. And somebody who was doing the, the social media marketing for Heckler & Koch said something, went off on a rant about this feminism type of thing. And it went viral. And everybody went, I'm not buying Heckler & Koch anymore. I'm canceling my order. Blah, blah, blah. And the next day, they posted uh, they posted a, a, a sign, a road sign. Um, saying, you know, the road forward, a policy was violated, changes were made. Now, this is how you do it. <laughs> this is how you do it. This is this is the, Yes, we messed up. <clears throat> All of those tweets were, were deleted. They immediately get out in front of it, and there's an article uh, that came out uh, from James Reeves over at the Firearm Blog that tells the story about what actually happened, that this, this social media was being done by a, by a contractor third party and not the woman that they had identified uh, as the marketing director who was a former bikini fitness model herself, and everybody went, oh, how hypocritical. But it wasn't her posting all of this all of this stuff. So not only does Heckler & Koch fire the people who were doing the social media, they post the thing that says, we changed something, you know, they, they broke a rule and we, and we axed them. Then they get this article out that says, here's what happened. And then they put this out here yesterday with our new social media manager assessing the situation. This is Jurassic Park. You know, Jeff Goldblum looking at a pile of 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 <laughs> clever dinosaur droppings. This is how you do it. This is how you do it. You don't double down on whatever stupid decisions that you've made. You don't sit there and start name calling and well, you're just a big so and so because you were just that's how you do it. That's how you manage it. It's like, oops, okay, we made a mistake. Course correction. Let's go. And people are sitting there going, all right, I wasn't going to buy your product. Now I am. And the cynics are going to sit there and say, well, this whole thing was planned. Let's yeah, get people mad. And we'll do but this, does, this seems a little bit more organic. And a lesson can be learned here. And I don't think your companies like Target or Bud Light or Disney. Disney, Disney did all of this with the whole the whole thing going on in Florida. Disney should have done something like this. And I think Bob Chapek tried, but he was already behind the eight ball because Bob Iger is still sitting there pulling strings and doing whatever to sabotage the current CEO and and get him out and get him back, you know, get himself back in. But this is this is how this is how you do these things. You know, if you have a customer base and you do something that ticks off your customer base, the next thing should not be let's tick off our customer base more. Yeah, but this is it's it's what I would say is uh, it's it's moral development. You know, my wife is a school counselor, and she says, you know, uh, when you get to be about fourth or fifth grade, you realize the difference between wrong and right, and you learn that, you know, you 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 fess up and say, I did something wrong, and I'm sorry, 
And that's the way most of us behave because we've matured beyond that. But we've allowed our society to uh, to not necessarily mature beyond that. And lots of times the first response is defensive. It's I mean, look at and, you know, without getting into the politics of it, you know, Trump has been quoted many times saying that part of his philosophy is never admit you're wrong. Mm -hmm. Never it never take the blame for anything. And I mean, it's clear if you if you've watched him in the past, there are things that we all know he has done that he flat out denies doing. <laughs> and yet he just keeps moving forward as part of the way he operates. And it's it's um, it, it is it's a level of moral development. I, I say, you know, you're acting like fifth grade boys um, because <laughs> at some point you grow up and you learn to say, I'm sorry. Yeah. You know, I'm going to do the right thing here. And what you're mm -hmm. explaining with the gun manufacturer is moral development. This is how you respond. Okay. But it's mm -hmm. not the way society always responds. Yeah. So. Well, and, and that circles us back to this, this story because David Zaslav, who's the, the CEO at Warner Brothers Discovery, he does a commencement speech at Boston University. And the CEOs, the, the, the C-suite people are the ones that are getting called out specifically because they got all these compensation packages and they're making all these hundreds of millions of dollars. And, this. and he's getting heckled at this thing. So a PR move for me, I think, and, and yes, it would be a PR move, but would it be a smart thing? For some of these CEOs to sit there and go, you know what? Maybe we need to rethink the executive compensation on some of this stuff while we're doing new writers packages. We're coming up with new compensation for the writers and we're coming up with new compensation for the producers and for the directors and the animation guys, all these unions. Maybe we should rethink some of the compensation for the for the executives as well. Would well, that that's, would that no, that's, earn that's, them that's, some that's supposed to be the board's job. The problem, of course, with the people running the company is they have the ultimate conflict of interest in that discussion. <laughs> like, you're, should we lower the compensation of the top people? And you're going to ask management if they should. Yeah, it's not going to fly. So there are supposed to be grown-ups in the room. There are supposed to be the boards of these companies <laughs> that are supposed to be making these decisions, and oftentimes they aren't. And you know what? I've been on, I've served on boards myself. I've served on boards myself where the manager of the company is choosing the compensation committee that's going to decide how much he's going to get paid. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's Not, crazy. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure this out. Well, and, and the other part of it, too, is that people, people are starting to wake up to this whole ESG thing. And your boards have a fiduciary responsibility for the company to make a profit. That, I mean, you're, you're there to make money for the shareholders, right? You, right. You've got to yes. make profit, so you pay out your dividends, you pay your shareholders. And <laughs> if... If the board is is compromised as as far as executive compensation goes, I would think also that these boards are also compromised by the fact that hey, we're getting all this ESG money because of all these diversity programs and these equity programs, yada yada yada, and it doesn't matter if we make a profit or not as long as we're hiring the right people of color and we got the right number of people and this you know you know, they're using these bathrooms and they're dressing this way and they're using these pronouns. And, hey, we get all this ESG money. But now you're starting to get some pushback on people that are sitting there going, you know, this ESG thing might not necessarily be a good thing. This is uh, this is a headline in Investment Executive. Dwindling support for ESG and executive pay outrage. Uh, you, you've, you're starting to see, and we've seen some of this pushback from shareholders on the Disney earning call, for example, about the diversity having having done harm to the bottom line, whereas there's so much focus on the ESG money, and we're not focused on profit. What does that ultimately do to your company if if all you're thinking about is your ESG score? Because eventually the ESG money is going to run out. 
Well, and, and on top of that, you know, who, who you have you have conflicting fiduciary duties. You have fiduciary duties to employees. You have fiduciary employees to shareholders. You have fiduciary uh, duties to regulators. And I mean, it, it's it's not as easy as it seems. And yeah. uh, a group of people, plus you have groupthink, which is another uh, big thing. So you got 10 people sitting around the board and they're trying to decide you know, which group they need to uh, to favor in this particular thing. And they may do what they think is the best decision. It just may not be the best decision. Yeah. Well, and there's a there's a um, an article in Bloomberg. Apparently, there's an insurance coalition group of people. And you have a number of companies that are leaving because of this whole ESG battle. And Mm -hmm. it's it's starting to look like that might be the next the next big battleground and maybe it's maybe we're past the time where it needs to be but this does feel like that you know we've been talking about it a number a number of youtube channels have been talking about esg for a year at least right and yep. now your general public is starting to uh, is starting to wake up to it although here's here's an article in usa today Woke or not, many Americans ignore ESG and investing despite political tug of war. And I would say that they probably are not ignoring it so much as they really don't understand it yet. Because the mainstream media outlets are not talking about it the way we've been talking about it in the alternative media. And as people start to pay attention more, and of course, you know, streaming services being what they are, and everybody is starting to look at YouTube because there's no content. They're going to look at YouTube. They're going to look at Rumble. All of this noise, they're going to start paying attention to this ESG stuff because they're paying attention to the trans rights activism. They're paying attention to the stuff that's going on at Target. They're paying attention to the Bud Light thing. People are starting to be more aware of the cultural battles. And I think that affects the bottom line on a lot of these companies. And eventually, maybe we start seeing movies and television shows and other products that are not you know influenced by politics so much as whatever it is that they need to focus on in order to sell their product i don't know I mean, maybe i'd say the pendulum swings and it always swings too far <laughs> in each direction yeah so uh i i, I would say I, I there's no question in my mind that the pendulum has started back the other way the question is how far it goes and with what force. But I, I, I do think people are tiring of the whole woke thing. And uh, it, uh, it just the momentum has shifted in my mind. We'll see how that plays out. Yeah. But when you run a company, you have so many things to consider. Exactly. Diversity is uh, not, I mean, you're there to make money, stay in business and not piss people off. That's yes. always my philosophy. But how do you how do you how do you walk that line? I mean, Dan, you've been on that board where well, we got to do this, we got to do this. You know, what happens when your your goals are at cross purposes to each other? Well, majority rules, and that's the, you know that's the sad thing, and um, that's how that is how um, companies get off track. And uh, sometimes it's the management that takes them off track. I mean, you know, you hire somebody because you trust them and you give them a lot of leeway, especially for a long time. I mean, it's only three years later that you're sitting there scratching your head going, maybe this wasn't the right person or maybe they haven't taken us the right way or whatever. But by then there can be a heck of a lot of damage that's already done. Yeah. Um, I saw I saw a suggestion one time and I think it was probably the last two, three weeks where I saw this, uh, talking about executive compensation after they leave. Mm. You know, the golden parachute stuff. And somebody has suggested making that dependent on where the company is a certain amount of time after you leave. And like, say, five years from now, now we're going to give you your retirement package thing based on this, and so you have a you have more of an obligation to you know it's in your best interest to leave the company in a really good position financially so that 5 years from now your compensation package is going to be I don't know how you would calculate that kind of thing 
because a lot can happen in five years. But just the concept of that where, you know, you have to you have to leave it leave it better than you left it. It seems to have fallen by the wayside for a lot of these people. <laughs> to some degree that would already be happening because so many people leave with large amounts of stock. And, yeah, uh, that that's a great point. Yeah. I think and, in most cases they probably don't sell it immediately. And I think the other thing that a lot of people don't realize about those packages is, you know, they are a lure to hire the person in the first place. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because there's a lot of risk in jumping from General Motors to Twitter, say. Okay. I'm going to go give it my best shot. I'm going to do the best job I can. But there's no guarantee that it's going to compensate me as well as I have been compensated at my old thing. So one of the things is you build in the parachutes and stuff and say, hey, look, if this doesn't work out and you all fire me three or four years from now, then I get to collect X, Y, Z. And and that's why a lot of those things are set up because you wouldn't make the jump unless you had some kind of assurances. Sure. And uh, right. a lot of people don't understand that. They just don't haven't thought through it because they aren't in that position. It doesn't apply to them personally, but uh, an awful lot of that is stuff that's negotiated up front when somebody's hired just as a parachute in case the plane goes down. So would it be a smart thing at this point with the, with the strike in Hollywood? Would it be a good move or would it be seen as not necessarily pandering, but uh, of what would what would be the word? Uh, an, an empty gesture for some of these executives to sit there and say, you know what, let's let's rethink our packages too. W would that actually work as a as a uh, point of negotiation? Yeah, I, my thing imagine is them doing it. Yeah, well, that well, they, I can't imagine them doing it. But the other thing is. You know how politics works, how, you know, the guy that you're opposed to over there, you don't believe anything he says. Right. I have a sense that if you're at the top of a company and there's a union dispute, if you say, I'm going to make a concession because I want to help you guys, they're going to believe you anyway. Right. They're going to say, well, OK, but he's still going to get, you know, that's because but it. I mean, I, I don't have any problem with them trying it. I just uh, I wonder at how successful it would be. Yeah. Yeah, uh, we got a question over in the chat in in and uh, Rumble. Uh, space just launched its last successful space flight. Any thoughts? I don't have any information on that. I haven't seen that yet. Uh, last successful test flight. I will. Uh, I will look that up. I have not. Uh, I have not seen all of that yet. Uh, Cam says this is all related to shareholders being completely separated from the actions of the corporation. I mean, corporations have an obligation to report to the share. I mean, we have the earnings call every quarter, and I'm sure they, there's documentation that goes out on, on all of that. Uh, but there's also, you know, like I said, the alternative, the alternate media coverage of things that may not necessarily be covered in the shareholders report. You know, sh how much responsibility do shareholders have? And at what point do they have to sit there and stand up and say, you know what, we have had enough of this and we're going to take steps. And then you've got to have a block. You've got to have a huge group or a lot of yeah. shares in order to have any kind of an influence. I mean, if I own 10 shares of Disney, that's nothing. That's dropping the bucket. But if I have 100,000 shares, that's a different thing. And then if I pull together three or four of us that have 100,000 shares apiece, that's now a voice at the table that maybe gets listened to. But, you know, you need to be somebody at the level of like Ike Perlmutter or, or Nelson Peltz in order to have any kind of blip on the radar. And that's a problem, too, because I'm sure that there are a bunch of shareholders uh, for not just Disney, Anheuser-Busch, Target, um, Procter and Gamble, all of these companies that have leaned into this stuff, I'm sure that there are thousands of shareholders that sit there and go, wait a minute. 
Well, I think, you know, and, and of course, I graduated from business school uh, many, many, many years ago. So, uh, you know, you, you have to take that with a grain of salt because the world was different when I graduated from business school. Yeah. But I think you have to remember that the shareholders are the people with their own money at risk. OK, so I, I always get concerned when I hear people say, well, you know, Exxon made a billion dollars last year. Well, the part that's missing in that particular statement is how much money have the shareholders invested in order to make that billion dollars right if they if they invested a hundred million and they made a billion well that's an incredibly good return but if they have 20 billion invested and they made one million dollars last year that isn't a very good return they never talk about that well so that's the issue is you know shareholders you know they want the company to make money and they're the ones that have their own money invested to make that happen. Okay, so there are all these other groups saying, well, you should take better care of the employees. You should take better care of the da 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 But all those people who say that, or many of those people who say that, they don't have a financial stake in the discussion. It's not right. their money that that we're talking about. And I think it's a I think it's a really key point. I mean, I. It, it just seems to me that, you know, the one thing I can do as a shareholder, if I don't like what they're doing, is sell my shares. You know, I can take my million dollars and I can move it to another company and let them invest the money if they think they can do a better job with it. Yeah. Um, but most of the people who complain about all this kind of stuff, they aren't part of the they aren't part of the group with their own money at risk. See, that seems to be the case for a lot of things these days, right? <laughs> yes. I'm going to complain about stuff, but I got no skin in the game, so I can just That's... say whatever I want. And and like like we've talked about before, and like Barry Weiss, when she left the New York Times, she said, you know, you guys are all worried so much about what people are saying on Twitter, and you're not focused on your customers your shareholders your your what all your actual obligations business-wise you're worried about some nebulous out in the ether 12 year old with blue hair that that has an emotional conniption fit that's right i agree with that completely all right so so we shut down the internet that helps right <laughs> i think you know i told my wife the other day it's funny she said i what I do, I, I have some friends that I, you know, text back and forth with and stuff. And if I see something funny, I'll send them the text. And she said to me the other day, she said, where do you find this funny stuff? And I said, you know what? I see it on Facebook or wherever. I said, here's the thing. You know, you hear people all the time complaining about, oh, it's so negative. I hate social media because it just makes me feel bad and all this kind of stuff. You know what? I can look at it, and what I see is the funny stuff. <laughs> it's all, I don't feel bad. I, it, all, doesn't, it doesn't upset me. Yeah. I find funny stuff and pass it along to my buddies. It's driven. Well, and it and that drives the algorithm. You know, the more the more you engage with, you know, the stuff that you engage with this is the stuff that they feed you. I mean, right now, for whatever reason, I don't know why, but right now, Instagram is giving me a ton of videos with French Bulldogs. Because looked I looked at yeah. something somewhere, yep. I clicked something somewhere, or I shared a, I shared a thing because because Mindy's always sending me stuff with beagles in it. So I sent her this thing with French, and now my feed is just full of French bulldogs. And I'm like, well, okay, that's the, that's the algorithm, and that's fine. You want to show me French bulldogs instead of something else? So I don't know. Mm -hmm. We'll see. I I just. Uh, I just look at all of this stuff and I shake my head and I was like, well, all right, just keep working in the garden and that's all you can do. Stocking up you know, on stuff, up. wait for, wait for the, the next round. So anyway, all right. Okay. So, um, that having been said, I guess we can wrap up here, but, uh, this just, just to, to put some of this in perspective, there's a New York post headline. Target has lost nine billion dollars in value in a week somebody miscalculated and, yeah. and that was for such a tiny <laughs> tiny part of their marketing something not like but but like was you know a massive product yeah uh, this was nothing to target i don't know why they're messing with it well and and 
again, this gets back to you know how how social media can be used for a positive. You got people that are walking in there and say, "Look, here's this thing des- designed by a Satan worshiper. Do you mm-hmm. want this in your in your store? And you know, do you want to do business?" That kind of activism has a has a big impact, uh, and and we're seeing it in a lot of different things, not just not just with you know Target and Bud Light, but you know. The Flash is going to be interesting to see because there's early buzz about The Flash. It's supposedly it's a good movie, but people are going to sit there and say it's it's Ezra Miller. We saw all of this stuff that happened with Ezra Miller. I'm not going to go see the movie, you know. And we'll see what happens. You know, uh, Lucasfilm is facing the same issue with Indiana Jones. You know, I'm not going to support Disney. I'm not going to support Lucasfilm. I'm not going to go see the movie. We'll see how it goes because your know, box office Pe- will be very, uh, very. People telling say a, people say a lot of stuff, but then they do what they want to do. Yeah. So, the, everything you need to know will be in the box office. Yeah. I'm I'm hoping that we get a preview screening of of uh, Indiana Jones Five so I can watch it and I can do my job to review it, but I don't have to pay for it. So. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so too. All right, that's going to do it for us, gentlemen. Uh, where can people find stuff for you guys to to do business? Let's uh, let's uh, close out with that. Yeah. I, I won't even send them to my business site. My company is called Family Investment Center, and it's in Kansas City and St. Joe. But uh, I also have a website called Ask Dan Danford, and if you uh, go there. You can uh, type in little questions or queries, and if I'm so inclined and have something to say, I will post an answer for you. And Matthew? Uh, Dan and I are in a similar business, but I don't view this as uh, – I'm not really totally approved to do it as advertising. So <laughs> so I'm a real estate guy, so, so that's, that's me what I do. Okay, and as far as we go here, you can see all of these different social media platforms where you can find us. You can join us over on the Discord server, and we do have a Subscribestar account if you want to support us in that way. Uh, Memberships are also available both on uh, Odyssey and YouTube, so if you want to join a membership, you can do that as well. Uh, We've got all these video platforms and stuff for, for you to sign up for and uh and join us for that and and tomorrow uh tomorrow 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 open line friday you can call in with your thoughts and questions and ideas and whatnot and then of course on saturday we've got good morning multiverse at 11 a.m eastern so join us for that in the meantime happy star wars day oddly enough we don't have a ranker pit tonight Probably should have thought that through a little bit more. But no Ranker Pit tonight. Ranker Pit next week. Tomorrow back here for Open Line Friday. Remember, the politicians hate you. The media lies to you. God has a plan for you. And there are four lights. This has been a presentation of SciFiForMe.com. Copyright 2023 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. You're listening to Sci-Fi For Me Radio.